Okay, I, I think I'm more ill-prepared for this message than I ever have been one in my life, almost. And the reason is, it's not about what to say, it's what not to say. There's all this stuff I just think, I'm thinking all the time, and all this stuff is floating around, and, you know, I'm trying to get it to where it's understandable here. And this theme helps me a little bit because good advice and good news. Um, in 1983, probably, I don't remember, it was the early, early portion of 1980, 80s, uh, there was a group of us, I was invited as a part of a group, about 20 of us, pastors around the country, leaders, church leaders, James, James Robinson was there, Dudley Hall was there, Jim Holton was there, Jack Taylor was there, uh, guy at this, uh, church in Houston, there's T.D. Hall, Dudley Hall, uh, this group of guys that I greatly respect, all of them older than I. Um, anyway, <clears throat> the word went out that a guy by the name of uh, uh, Roy Hessian was in town, and I knew he had written some books, uh, one of which was Calvary Road, which uh, I'd read. He's 82 years old at this point in his life, and, and he and James is the one that gathered us all, and he said, Roy wants to just teach us for a while, for all of us guys in there. And so he comes and he starts teaching. And at this point in my life, I am really, really seeking this whole grace thing. I'm, I'm like a, you know, a bloodhound on the trail. I can smell it, but I don't know where it's leading. I hadn't unraveled a lot yet. You know what I mean? I'm... I'm working at it, I'm working through it, I'm talking to people, I'm inquiring, I'm asking, I'm teaching, I'm, I'm teaching some of it, you know, portions and parts. I've already taught about righteousness, that we are the righteousness of God in Christ, and all these different kinds of things, that are pieces that I've put together, but not the whole. And I heard he knew some things about grace, so I thought, I, I want to go. And uh, so we went, and he's teaching along, and I still have the notes from that, by the way. And uh, something kind of rose up, and I, I, I tentatively raised my hand in the midst of all these people, and I'm probably the little shot in the room. And uh, I, I, he said, I said, may I ask a question? He said, yeah, but before you do, before you ask, ask, ask a question, I'm thinking, oh, man, you know, I'm getting in trouble. He said, I want to ask you one. I said, okay, and there in front of everybody. He said, when you preach, do you preach good advice or good news? He said, now, good advice is good advice. And everybody needs some good advice at times. But he said, good advice won't transform their lives. He said, good news will. The good news will transform people's lives from the inside out. And it was profound to me. I got to thinking about that. How many times in my life have I heard and even preached good, news, uh, good, uh, good advice messages? How to do this, how to do that. And see, good advice always compels you to do something, right? Compels you to act. It's, you don't have to. You can take it or reject it, but there's a call to you to do something, and it's, it can be spiritual. When somebody says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not unto your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your path. And the, the hidden agenda there is, if you don't do that, then He won't direct your path. You, you've got to do it. How do you trust in the Lord with all your heart? I don't know. How do you, 
How do you never lean to your own understanding? See, see what I mean? That's a call for you to do something. When the good news is, he has already done something that you couldn't do and can't do and never will be able to do. Good news is, is he did something. Now, good advice is good advice. People do need good advice. Uh, stop being an idiot. You know, stop being stupid. Stop being dumb. Don't do that dumb thing anymore. That's good advice. It could be a little higher quality than that, but... Uh, I saw this meme the other day, and I wrote it down. Isn't that what they're called, those little pithy sayings on the Internet? It said, everything happens for a reason, and the reason is you're stupid and make bad decisions. <laughs> hey. <laughs> good advice. There's a lot, of, a lot of good advice. Paul gave good advice. Every, all of them did. All the writers did. They gave some good advice. But boy, you need to see the good news. We need to see the good news. The world needs to understand the good news. And there's only one gospel, folks. It's the gospel of good news. It's the gospel of grace. There's only one gospel. There's not another gospel. In mixed gospel, there's a, there's a dab of good news in there. What? Well, according to you... Because I did this, I'm not going to go to hell when I die. But it's going to be hell on earth till I get there. See what I mean? Uh, only, only the gospel of grace is true good news. You can tell it in songs. I, I, I watch from vantage point back there all the time. Not just watch, but experience. And uh, when we're doing a good advice song. People, they'll sing it. That's great. Yes, I, I agree with that. I agree with that. You know, good advice. I'm going to trust in the Lord. I'm going to trust in the Lord. Good advice song. And you respond. But as soon as a good news song starts, <laughs> you say that this morning. God is good. Oh, how he loves us. It's, <laughs> it's life transformational. The good news is. And it begins with the way you think. The way you think. Here's just an admonition, an exhortation, or an encouragement. Never stop growing in your understanding of grace and God. Never, never stop growing in that understanding. What we see is not all there is to see. And what, what I get fearful of myself and others at times is what I don't want to do is build just a bigger box for God. Yeah. You know, that's a better box than the old one. It's more fun or clearer or uh, nicer or kinder or whatever. I just don't want a bigger box. I don't want any boxes. I don't want God to be limited in my thinking in any manner because he isn't yeah. limited. 
So there's more to understand and more to discover. And it's thrilling to be able to discover things, to have your mind challenged from old ways of thinking that's been there for a long time in your life. All of you overcame that, didn't you? you all of you, every one of you that has embraced the fact that God is love and He loves us with an everlasting love and that's never going to change and your sins are forgiven and uh, wiped clean. Sin is no issue. Sin is no uh, problem. All of that took a massive change in the way you thought. Did, did it not? And you came to it, most of us came to it in stages, in increments, as we learned, as we understood, as we began to have what we were seeing uh, affirmed and confirmed, even in the experience of others. You had to overcome a lot. What I'm saying is, there's more. There's more to overcome. Never stop pursuing True information about our Heavenly Father. Never stop pursuing that. Don't stop growing. Now, let me give you a couple of scriptures uh, about that growth process. Uh, 1 Corinthians 2, 9 through 11. It says, but, but just as it's written in Isaiah 64, just as it's written, things which eye has not seen nor ear heard which have not entered into the heart of man all that God has prepared for those who love him. What a statement. For to us, God revealed them. Them what? Them things. <laughs> those things that God has prepared for us. For to us, God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. Okay. What I'm saying to you is this. You have one living within you, the Holy Spirit's presence. Your body became the temple of the Holy Spirit. He's here. He's with you. He's in union with you. We all have someone living within us that knows everything that God knows. If that's the case, you have someone living in you that knows everything that God knows, why don't you ask him some questions? Ask him some questions. The point in this is, is for you to begin the process, and most of you already have, you have, you have had to, begin to trust the Holy Spirit in you to lead you and guide you into truth. Let me show you another scripture. John 16. You all read this, but let's read it again. John 16, look in verse 5. But now I'm, Jesus speaking, going to him who sent me, for none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. But I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, the paraclete, the one who walks beside, helps. The helper shall not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Then in verse 13. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will, not, uh, he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will disclose to you what is to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall take of mine and shall disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. So what Jesus said here is, 
when the helper comes, by the way, has the helper come? Yes. Yeah, he's here. <laughs> he came. Uh, when the helper comes, one of the primary, uh, what? One of the primary things that he is to us is our teacher. Holy Spirit is our teacher. He said he will lead you into all the truth. So if you're going to find truth, you have to cooperate with the Spirit as He teaches you, as He leads you, wherever that is. Whether it comes from a, a person teaching, whether it comes from your own study of Scriptures, whether it comes from uh, just uh, ever how it comes, the Holy Spirit is the one moving behind the scenes to bring you to that place. He wants to lead you into truth. You have to learn to trust Him in this. Most of you don't trust, well, you trust the Holy Spirit, but you don't trust yourself to properly hear him or follow him. But you can trust yourself in that. There is that small, quiet voice inside of you that says things to you. That if you, if you listen, he'll, he'll minister and teach you something. Or you'll hear something, and there's an identification. I'm not sure about that, but it sounds like truth. That's something that I need to pursue and think about more and need to investigate more. The Holy Spirit is key in this process as you go along. Now, sure, study the Scriptures, yes. But here's, here's, think about this, folks. Studying the Bible is hard. It's hard. And just off the top of my head, I don't mean to shock any of you, and if you'll let me explain, I don't think it will. But this right here is not the Word of God. This is not the Word of God. It's, it's called Scriptures. But nowhere does the Bible call itself the Word of God. The Bible is not the Word of God. Who is the Word of God? Jesus is. John, John 1, he said, In the beginning was the Word. Hearkening back to the creation story. In the beginning, God created. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And He holds all things together, and everything everywhere is contained within Him, and He holds it all together. His life infuses every single thing that exists, or it would cease to exist. Now, that being said, I'm not casting dispersions on the Bible. Without it, I don't know what we would do. I wouldn't know what I would know or wouldn't know. So I treasure the Scriptures. But I can also tell you that in order to properly divide the Word, properly understand the Word, you're going to have to have some information. You need to know the languages if you're going to really properly understand it in the languages it's written in. You're going to have to understand proper interpretation, translations. Do you understand all translations of the Bible are biased? Every one of them are because human beings did it. It's impossible not to have some bias in it. Probably the least biased one would be something like the Young's Literal Translation, which is so literal, so it's really hard to read. But I can tell you there are some key places Keywords, keyword, just one word here, one word there, one word there. 
mistranslated from a biased point of view and it changes the scope and the meaning of that whole passage of Scripture. You need to know the context, the immediate context, the larger context, the context of the whole Bible, actually. To whom was it written? What was the intent behind the author? What was he trying to say? It's like me always just emailing you or texting you and never talking to you. You're going to miss some things. You're going to miss the inflection in my voice. You're going to miss the intent of my heart. You can't see my face. It's going to, you, I, you understand, that really isn't a great way to communicate if you're going to really communicate with someone. So it takes the spirit. Can I tell you this? There are, there, the, the, uh, talking about bias in scripture, I can give you many examples of that. One would be the NIV, and it's bias toward uh, progressive, salva- uh, progressive sanctification. Where in Hebrews 10, it says, they will, or they are being, you are being sanctified. No, it's not being sanctified. It is we are sanctified. The, the, the NASB gets it correct. You have been sanctified. Makes a huge difference in the way you see things right there. That I'm not trying to work for my sanctification. I'm already sanctified. God did it. I didn't. He didn't ask my permission either. Do you know he sanctified you without even asking your permission? <laughs> exactly. So you see, this is, this is a challenge. Now... <clears throat> languages think about this the Hebrew language for example spoken language contains about 10,000 words not many words not many words for a language not many words now one of the reasons is because they'll have one word that means 50 different things in different ways even to the inflection of your voice putting emphasis on a particular syllable changes that word very complicated There's over 200,000 words in the Greek spoken language. (laughs) They got words for everything. They've got 10 words for the same thing, only it shades a little bit. This word means this, only this shading in it. This word means this with this shading in it. It's very, very challenging. Plus the fact you're dealing with, we don't have the original manuscripts that were written. We have some dated probably within... mm, Three to five hundred years after they were written. That's about the earliest ones we found, the, the Dead Sea Scrolls the Qumran, in the Qumran cave. So all these, okay, what language did the, did the translators translate from? The Septuagint, which is a Latin translation of the original Greek and Hebrew or, and Aramaic in the New. Now, I can tell you this. I, I believe, I believed in the inspiration of scriptures. But I wouldn't go as far as to say, I believe that it's infallible or inerrant. Maybe in the original manuscripts, but not in this one. There's some, some contradictions in it. You understand? They, there's clear, clear contradictions. How do you deal with that? Now, let me tell you this. Uh... First of all, you have to interpret it from a New Covenant perspective. That's the, that's the only way you can do it and rightly divide it. Before New Covenant, post-New Covenant, so forth. Now, I don't really want to get into all that, but to say this. In the, in the New Testament, for example, um, 
there are seeming to be at times scriptures that contradict our understanding that God is love. God's, he's not judging us. He's, he's pure love. He loves us. He's cleansed us of our sins. Our basic understanding of grace. We've been forgiven, so forth. There are a few that seem to indicate that that might not be the case. Especially taken out of context. Can I tell you, in my dealing, I haven't looked at all of them, but some, a lot of people have just about all of them, any kind of objection. There is always, always is, a credible, believable explanation for that. See, I, I like uh, the translation, for instance, I like the, uh, I like the Passion transla Translation. I like the Mirror Bible. And there's about three others I like a lot. They're all biased, but they're biased from a perspective of grace, which I happen to believe. That's what I'm saying. We need the Holy Spirit leading us in this, right? We need Him to teach us. And the truth is, if you already know everything, you're not ever going to learn anything. So, we need the Spirit. That's what I'm saying. And, and He is leading. And I just want to testify to you that it's wonderful. It's, he, ooh, I, 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 to me, nothing I've seen, nothing I've read, nothing I've meditated on, no truth has diminished God in the least. As a matter of fact, the exact opposite is true. Again, like Rick has said, he gets bigger and better all the time, and I, get, I live with less certainty and more mystery. I don't have to know everything. I already know enough to just to make me giddy. But I want to know some more because it always adds to my life and my thinking. I want to know more. And the only way for that really to properly take place is for the Holy Spirit to begin leading us into all the truth. All the truth. Now, that being said, you're fine like you are. You know, you're... You're happy in the Lord. You're excited about what He's done in your heart and life. I know. I, I talked to you. I know you just, you can hardly, you're just about to burst to talk about it and tell somebody about it. And you, you wake up and, you, and your thoughts of God are good ones, aren't they? Aren't they? Yes. So you're fine like you are. I'm just saying there's more. And it'll feel just like this feels, if not better. Okay, I'm, I don't like much. Uh, well, really, I like a whole lot, but I'm going to quit. Uh, can, can I read you something that you probably haven't heard and you probably maybe haven't thought? You don't have to, you don't have to agree with this, folks. I'm not saying that. You don't, you don't have to agree with me. I, I'm not trying to get you to believe anything. I, I just, every once in a while, you need to read something that challenges some aspect of how you think. Now, if how you think and what you believe, if it's truth, it'll stand up to scrutiny, won't it? It'll make you more confident, not less. And by the way, God's not going to get mad at you for at least momentarily believing something wrong. 
would he? Is he going? We're past that, aren't we? Aren't we past that? We know God's not mad at us. He's not going to get mad at us. Right? I sometimes think he looks up there and we're stumbling on trying to hear the Holy Spirit and find truth. He just, he's happy because we're on the trail. We're on the trail. See, the journey is the destination. What happens to you on the way is what it's all about. It's okay to, to make mistakes. It's okay to mess up. It, it's okay to think something wrong for a while. So I'm not trying to convince you of anything. I just want to show you something that's kind of intriguing to me that I think has some legs to it. You, you mind if I do that? All right. If I find it, I will. All right, there we go. This is written by William Barclay, and uh, probably in the neighborhood of 75 years ago. He wrote this whole, it, they, they put it into a set of commentaries, but it really isn't a set of commentaries. It's more of a daily teaching that he used to do, and they, they compiled it all. Amazing. And by the way, this is Southern Baptist endorsed even. I don't think they read this part when they endorsed it. I'm pretty sure they didn't. Okay, listen to this. Just as an example. The Word was already there in the very beginning of things, as I've already said. John's thought about is going back to the very beginning of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. What John is saying is this. The Word is not one of the created things. The Word was there before creation. The Word is not part of the world which came into being in time. The Word was part of eternity and was there with God before time and before the world began. This thought of John has a technical name in theology. John was thinking of what is known as the preexistence of Christ. In many ways, this idea of preexistence is very difficult, if not altogether impossible, to grasp, and I agree with that. But it does mean one very simple, very practical, and very tremendous thing. If the Word was with God before time began, if God's Word is a part of the eternal scheme of things, it means that God was always like Jesus from the very beginning. Sometimes we tend to think of God as, as just and holy and stern and avenging. We tend to think that something that Jesus did changed God's anger into love and altered God's attitude to men. The New Testament knows nothing of that idea. The whole New Testament tells us, and this passage of John specifically tells us, that God has always been like Jesus. What Jesus did was to open a window in time that we might see the eternal and unchanging love of God. But we may well ask, if you say that, what about some of the things that we read in the Old Testament? What about the passages which speak <clears throat> about the commandments of God to wipe out whole cities and destroy men, women, and children? You ever wonder about that? Mm -hmm. What of the anger and the destructiveness and the jealousy of God that we sometimes read of in the older parts of Scripture? The answer to that question is this. It's not God who has changed. It is men's knowledge of God that has changed. Men wrote these things because they didn't know any better. That was the stage at which their knowledge of God had reached. When a child is learning any subject, he's got to learn it stage by stage. It doesn't begin with full knowledge. He begins with what he can grasp, and he goes on to more and more. It was that way with men and God. 
They could only grasp and understand little parts of God. It was only when Jesus came that men saw fully and completely what God has always been like. It is told that a little girl was once confronted with some of the more bloodthirsty and savage parts of the Old Testament. Her comment was, but what happened before God, oh, but that happened before God became a Christian. <laughs> so to speak. If we, if we may put it so with all reverence, when John says that the Word was always there before the beginning of things, he is saying that God was always a Christian. He's telling us that God was and is and ever shall always be like Jesus, but men could never know and realize that until Jesus came. That, it's okay to begin thinking like that sometimes. What was written was written from a perspective God hadn't revealed himself in Christ. So you depend upon the Holy Spirit. And by the way, there's all kinds of things in the Old Testament that testify of Jesus that aren't, aren't there. All over the place. You see the types and the shadows. They had no idea what they were saying, uh, the application of that. Yet it's all in there. He said, all of it's about me. Okay, just a, a couple of quick things. You know what a stronghold is? In First uh, Corinthians 10, 3 through 5 there, Paul says we are tearing down strongholds, or, or we are tearing down fortresses, is another translation of that word, and bringing every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Let me tell you what a stronghold is. It's a, it's a house of thoughts. It's a, a, a fortress of thoughts. A thought system. A system of thoughts. It's not demonic. Maybe demon, devil inspired, but it's really us, the way we think. It goes all the way back to the garden, folks. goes back to the garden. When Adam and Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and there immediately their thinking changed. They had a house of thoughts, a stronghold of thoughts. There came, there, there came uh, this dualism, good and evil. Uh, there came shame. That's the first time human beings ever experienced shame. They, they experienced fear. They experienced separation in their minds. In their minds. All in their minds. They experienced all this in their minds. It wasn't literally true. It was not true. Actually, they thought it in their minds. God didn't run away from them. He came to them. Don't you remember that? Where are you, Adam? I knew where they were. He said, what's happened is what I told you would happen. And what really happened was you started thinking about me in a way that's not true. And men have been thinking like that ever since. Stronghold in the mind. A house of cards, so to speak. A house of thoughts. Now what happens is this. Every, every one of us have these little fortresses, some bigger than others, but we got the main one, and then we got these all ancillary little houses of thoughts that keep us uh, tied up. Here, here's a... 
When I started poking at the fortress, the house of thoughts in my mind, I started poking at the walls of it, so to speak. And I found it to be pretty much tissue paper. House of cards. I, I pulled a card out. Then I pulled another one out. I pulled another one out, and then it collapsed. Some examples of that. First John 1 John 1.9 was a big turning point for me. This whole idea that I have to confess my sins to be forgiven over and over. Keep up your confessions. Keep short, sinless with God. All that kind of stuff. All about performance. All about me doing, not me being. And a long time ago, I read 1 John 1 9, and I just said, Oh my God. Oh my God. At what I saw. Oh my God. I remember saying that. Oh my God. All my sins are forgiven, past, present, and future, but it didn't stop there. He cleansed me of all unrighteousness. That I'm righteous, I'm cleansed. There's so sin attached to me and never will be for as long as I live throughout eternity. That was one of those cards. So, you look at another subject, a place, area of a belief system that's in your mind, and you, if you'll poke it, if you'll open yourself to something different and seeing things in a different way, then revelation begins to take place and it starts snowballing in your, in your mind and heart because there's really no thought I've ever had or system of thoughts that I've ever had that's sacred to me any longer. Now, I am more certain about a few things than I've ever been in my life and I'm more uncertain about most everything else. That's what I'm saying. Living in mystery, the joy of mystery the, I don't have to figure it all. I don't have to know everything correctly, but I sure want to know all of it. I want to know all of it. I want to know everything that I can know about my loving Heavenly Father and the implications it has on the people around me and for the whole world. And there's some, there's some, still some sacred cows, sacred calves. There's still some sacred things that the Lord, the Holy Spirit, will lead you to look at and examine a little more closely, and you'll see a crack in it. You're going to see a crack in it. You just put your finger in that crack and pull it open a little bit, and that pretty soon it kind of just falls, and you think, how could I ever see, thought that way before? How could I have not seen what I see before I saw it? It's, whew. God is good, folks. Don't ever be afraid. Don't, don't, don't be afraid to question your past belief system or your present one, for that matter, with the rock solid. You have come to know and you have believed the love which God has for you, haven't you? Me too. Transform my life. I came to know it. Soon thereafter, I believed it. I don't question. That will never change. 
I know that God is pure love and everything else about his nature, his character, and everything else about him flows out of that. His justice, for example. His justice is not what we thought it was. His justice is restorative. His justice is rehabilitative. His, his justice is loving. His justice is kind. He wants to set things right. He wants to make all things right. That's his justice. His judgments are good. <laughs> you see it a totally different way. His judgments are good. He's always been like Jesus. Always. Don't be afraid. You're not going off the rails. You're not going off into some cult. You're not, you're not going nuts with all this. It's impossible to go too far in the love and grace of God. It's impossible because grace is the most abundant commodity in the universe. It's grace upon grace. I'm a Gentile. I've never been under the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, the, the law. If you're a Gentile, you haven't been either. It wasn't there for you. It's not now and it wasn't then. All right, I don't, I don't have anything else. If you'll stand, I'll pray for you. Keep growing. Keep seeking. I promise you, if you seek, you'll find. And what you find will be good. It'll make God even bigger and better in your mind than he is now. And that's pretty hard to imagine. Well, Father, thank you for these dear, dear people. Thank you that all around our world, Father, that The true gospel, the gospel of grace is being ignited. And you said the kingdom was like leaven, Lord, that it'll kind of infiltrate everything. I believe grace is the same way, that it spreads to more and more people, causing the giving of thanks to the glory of God. What our world would be like, Lord, if we, if we could all see it experience it. Thank you for this little oasis here, Father, where we come and we're refreshed and we can go and express your love to other people and love them as they are and not try to convert them, but just love them and tell them the great good news that God loves them and that they're all right.
Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you for helping us as our helper, for teaching us as our teacher, for guiding us so gently and so kindly out of our little prisons and into liberty. You're precious to us. Thank you, Lord, for the ears to hear and the eyes to see. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.